Praise God. If you got your Bible this evening, turn please to Luke, the 12th chapter again. Luke 12, Jesus is speaking. And he told us in verse 22, Luke 12, 22, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. What Jesus tell us to do? Take no thought, talking about anxious thought, worried thought, fearful thought, the idea of where are we going to get it from? How are we going to get it? Where are we going to, and being troubled by it. The master told us not to do that. So what should we do? <laughs> now, you know, an issue that I have with some of the modern translations is that they have put the word try in a number of verses. Have you noticed that? Try to do this, try to do that. That is not in the scriptures. That is absolutely wrong. The, le the Lord never told you to try anything. <laughs> and he never will. Why? Because before he told you to do it, he knew whether you could do it or not. <laughs> and he wouldn't tell you to do something you couldn't do. He had already know, so he wouldn't have told you. Right? No, I absolutely take exception with that. Any of these new translations that say, you know, try this or do your best or try that, that is absolutely a perversion and distortion of the Word of God. It's not right. The Lord only told us, do. Don't do. Amen. Amen. And when he tells us, you know, he actually expects us to do what he said. <laughs> he does. He absolutely does. And there is no acceptable excuse. We're already off to a good start here, aren't we? <laughs> there is no excuse. There's forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. But there's no acceptable excuse. Uh, I want you to think about Peter walking on the water and uh, other occasions where the Lord told the individuals, you know, where's your faith? Uh, you would think that Peter might say, well, you know, man, the water was rough. The wind was blowing. Uh, I don't know of anybody else that's ever walked on the water besides me and you. But there was no acceptable excuse to the Lord. There's only repentance. And so we need to get rid of the mentality of trying and attempting. Because uh, the Lord doesn't accept it. I'm trying to represent scriptures here. He doesn't accept it if you say, well, Lord, I was trying. It just doesn't go anywhere with him. <laughs> Let me go over this again real slow. <laughs> One of the enemy's most effective tools is to convince you that you are a victim. That you are unable. You cannot comply. You cannot do it. And you hear it all the time. People say, well, I, 
I've done everything I know to do and I just can't keep from thinking on it. That's a lie. I've done everything I know to do and I just slip right back into it and I just can't do it. I've tried. That is a lie. And as long as you believe that, you're in serious, serious trouble. Because if I can't control my thinking, if I can't control my actions, what, how can I overcome? I'm not in control. If I'm not in control, who's in control? Who's at the wheel? And it has become religiously incorrect to use the term sin. It's become offensive and uncomfortable. And so there's a variety of substitutes that have been made available. (laughs) People no longer have sin in their life. They have issues. Issues and problems that they are working on. They're working on it. (laughs) They're working on it. What what does it mean we're working on it? Well, so-and-so has a problem with women. But he's working on it. What does that mean? He had three women on the side and now he's down to one? (laughs) So-and-so has a problem with stealing. But they're really working on it. What does that mean? They only steal two days out of the week? Now? (laughs) So-and-so has a real problem with lying. But, you know, it's an issue they've struggled with. Does this sound familiar? All of this is not biblical. It's contrary to Scripture. And it is a mentality that will keep you in sin. Because the idea is, I'm doing the best I can. So cut me some slack. That's a lie. The Lord knows it's a lie. The devil knows it's a lie. Other people probably know it's a lie. (laughs) None of us ever have to sin. None of us ever had no choice. Couldn't help. If we couldn't help it, we shouldn't be uh, required to repent. Because it wasn't our fault. The Lord should know. It was just bigger than we could handle. He should know that we were doing the absolute best that we could. We were trying. (laughs) And we were really working on it. (laughs) Go to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place here. And go to 1 Corinthians the uh, 10th chapter. This is not a hard word. This is truth that will make you free. 
if you make excuses for the issues and sin and bondages in your life, you will keep them. They will stay there and get worse. There's no excuse for sin. There's forgiveness for sin. Thank you, Lord. But there's no excuse. You ever heard somebody mess up a good apology <laughs> with an addition? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. Let me give you an example. Well, uh, I'm sorry about that. But, <laughs> but you know that I tried to get y'all to help me with that. <laughs> You're not apologizing. You're not. You can't repent if you don't take responsibility for anything. There's no repentance in that. Anybody remember 1 John 1, 9? Anybody know 1 John 1, 9 in here? Three people. Come on, I know you know. First, hold 1 Corinthians 10. Go to 1 John 1 9. 1 John 1 9. Y'all prayed, we prayed, I prayed. We believe the Lord's helping us tonight, right? We believe utterance is coming and, and revelation and help. Are we supposed to struggle with, with habits and sins no, no, for decade no, after decade? No, Are we supposed to get free and stay free? Amen. Stay free. Yes. Are we? Yes. Is there power in the blood yes. to make us free yes. and keep us free? Yes. 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 Somebody got it. 1 John 1, 9. What does it say? If we what? That's the first phrase. If, 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 if. It's conditional. If we do what? You can't play with it. You can't dance around it. You got to say you did it and you got to call it sin. That's the first part of it. And if you're making excuses, you're not taking responsibility. Talking about you trying and you did this and you did No, you did it. There's no excuse. Right. And you sinned. Yes. And you call it sin. Yes. And admit that nobody made you do it. You could have done differently. But you didn't. You confess it. And if you will and if you do, what's the next wonderful part? Ooh, he is faithful to forgive you. Hmm? But if you're not sure whether you even did anything wrong or not, you're not confessing anything. There's nothing to forgive. You're not asking for forgiveness. You're making excuses. You need to put a period on the end of these things. What did you do? I sinned. I messed up. I did wrong. Why? Yielded to the flesh. You'll do the wrong thing. Yep. Why? Period. Period. What about them? What about no what abouts? This is me. Right. 
I had light. I knew better. Sin is violation of light. Always. Always. And the problem is that people act like they don't know. And they play games. It starts young. Little ones. Did you take the trash out? Oh, did you want me to take the trash out? Was that me? I thought you was talking to sin. Lying. Lying. And friend, this is not, I mean, we're laughing. It is kind of funny, but it's not funny. This is the very nature of the devil. It's as serious as it gets. You know who came up with lying? The de- He's the father of it. There is nothing more devilish and more intrinsically the nature of the devil than lying. And do you know what will make you free? The truth. The truth. Lies will blind and lies will bind. But the truth will make you free. What the enemy will try to get you to do is play games and act like you wasn't clear on this and you really didn't understand that and you tried and did the best you could and you know you're lying. You know you're lying. But the problem is you keep doing that long enough you will deceive your own self. You can come to the point where you no longer see it. You actually believe the lie and then you're in trouble. I said then you're in trouble. Because you actually believe you can't do any differently. And if you believe that, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You can't. You are stuck. You'll die like that. I want you to know the truth. The truth is, you can control your mind. The truth is, you can control your mouth. The truth is, you can control your flesh. Come on. You can control your body. You can control your urges. You can control your spending. Come on. Are you with me? The truth is, you can. You are a born again child of God. You have been delivered from all the power of darkness. And sin no longer has you in its grip. You are no longer bound to live the rest of your life subject to the fear and death of sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So if you mess up, don't play games. It's dangerous to play games. Don't do it. Repent. What does repent mean? Confess it. Call sin, sin. And take responsibility and make no excuses and ask God to forgive you. He will. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. Amen. And he'll grace you and strengthen you. And you don't have to keep doing it over and over and over. And you can get free and stay free. You can. Anything else is a lie. Look in 1 Corinthians 10. You still got your place there? Yes, sir. 1 Corinthians 10. We're not trying. We're not working on it. Huh? We're walking in the light. Amen. We're saved people doing what he called us to do. We've all missed it. We've all come short. We've all made mistakes. But the way to get free is to confess it, deal with it, be honest. Right? 
1 Corinthians 10 and 13. What does it say? There's no temptation, no trial, no test taken you, but what? Such as is common to man. You don't have anything unique. But what's the next phrase? God is faithful. Say it out loud. God is faithful. Faithful specifically to do what? He will not suffer you. He will not allow you to be tested, tempted, tried above what you're able. Able what? Able to resist. But will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In my teenage years, particularly, I was into sport fighting and uh, was a big part of uh, what I did. And I get this picture when I read this verse of anybody being in the ring with me to fight an opponent. And the way I understand it is concerning all these things, if it's in the ring with me, I can beat it. If it really was too much and too big and too bad for me to handle, the Lord wouldn't have let it get in the ring. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So just the fact that I see it on the other side, I know already. I can whoop you. Why? Because you're in the ring with me. (laughs) And my God is faithful. He won't allow anything to get in the ring with me that I can't knock out. Come on, are y'all awake? Are y'all with me? So it is just a lie when the enemy says, this is too big. You can't handle this. This is just overwhelming. This is too much for you to resist. This is too much for you to deal with. If it's in my life, I can beat it. I can resist it. I can, if it's in my life, I can overcome it. If it really was too big, the Lord wouldn't let it come in. He would have kept it. There is a way of escape. There is a way to overcome. There, we are overcomers. That's our nature. Don't believe the lies of the devil. I've tried everything in the world. No, 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 you hadn't. I've done everything a man could do. No, no, quit believing lies. Stop. Believe this. Believe greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Believe that he always causes you to triumph. Always and gives you the victory in him. Believe the truth. If the enemy can ever get you to believe in, this is just too much. I can't help it. I've tried. If he can get you to believe that, it's the lie that will keep you bound. He's been stripped. He's been brought to naught. Jesus has defeated him. He's under our feet. Hallelujah. And that's not in my notes anywhere. (laughs) But, okay. You want to go back to Luke 12 now? Thank you, Lord. Jesus did not give us a partial, incomplete redemption, did he? 
Has he given us everything we need to be victorious? Everything. Everything. Luke 12. Jesus said, take no thought. Can we do that? Yes, we can. Can we go every day and every night, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, and the next week, and absolutely not worry at all about how we're going to pay our bills, how our kids are going to go to college, where we're going to live, what we're going to do? Can we go month after month and not worry at all about it? Can we? Yes. Should we do what he told us to do? We, yes. we should. We should. He goes on to say, he, he tells us to consider the ravens. He tells us to consider the lilies, how they're always taken care of, always provided, and they don't worry about it. They don't fret. Verse 29, he said, and seek not, seek not. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. Has he already thought about what you need? Is he already aware of it? And as we talked about last night, he's already prepared provision and placed it uh, in the right places for the right seasons and times, which is why we don't have to labor over it. Because he's already got it taken care of. True? And he told us, don't seek it. Now, it's one thing to hear something and be able to quote it, but it's another thing to live in the light of it. I dare say most of us, if not all of us, have missed it in this area of seeking to get our stuff that we need. Hmm? Seeking it. And yet the Lord told us, don't seek it. And the key to getting his miraculous provision is doing what he said and not seeking that, but instead seeking his kingdom. Now, the kingdom has to do with the rule and reign of the Lord. The USA is a kingdom. But when you talk about the kingdom, you want to have it within your, your thinking the idea of the plan. What makes the USA a kingdom? It is a place that is governed by certain laws and regulations that were established by people who drew up the Constitution and everything that's followed, and it was people's will and ideas that developed a plan for how a country would be and how we'd operate. So the kingdom is the embodiment of the plan and the expression of the plan. Uh, Hold your place here and look in Ephesians, please. Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians 1 and verse 11. Ephesians 1, 11, it says, In him, this is the NIV, In him we were also chosen, having been 
predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We've been called, we've been chosen, we've been predestined according to the plan. Say that phrase out loud. Predestined according to the plan. Say it out loud. Predestined according to the plan. When we say, quoting the Lord, don't seek your needs to be met. Don't seek you, what you're going to eat and where and where you're going to live. Don't seek the provision. Don't seek the finances. But right after it, he says, but seek the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom involves the plan of the advancement of the kingdom. Seek the plan. You're part of the plan. Don't focus on the finances. Make the plan the priority. Can you say amen? amen? Do you think everybody's doing that? No. Should we do it though? Is it the key to getting full provision? It is. It is. And you'll be tempted. Especially if something comes up and and it looks like a big need to you and you don't know where it's going to come from or how it's going to come through. In your mind, depending on your history and what you've done before you got saved or before you got into ministry, if you're used to burning the midnight oil in the calculator and using your head and figuring and, and scheming and coming up and strategizing, you can call it any number of different things. It's still seeking to produce this. And it is focusing on the finances. And if you do, then you join the rest of the world. Did you hear me? You join the rest of the world in trying to produce it yourself. And the Lord has told us we don't have to do this. We can be free from this. The life of faith is the life of rest. We which have believed do enter into rest. (laughs) We're in the middle of a project right now. And it's taking millions of dollars. And I don't know where it's coming from. We're at a place right now. The next steps that are unfolding. It's taken me. But you know, I, I can stand here before you and tell you, I am not bothered about it at all. Amen. I'm not losing any sleep. I'm not spending any time, you know, being concerned about it. I feel good. <laughs> but let me tell you, one of the reasons I feel confident and am able to resist any temptations or urge to be concerned. I am confident it's the plan. Amen. Are y'all with me now? Amen. That's, that's my anchor. That's my anchor. We had the privilege of uh, teaching and ministering at Raymond Bible Training Center for a number of years. 
And sometimes I'd have a few words to say with the other instructors in the uh, orientation, the beginning days of uh, students coming to class. And one of the things I'd often say to them, oh, they, they're so excited. And I'm saying, uh, are you glad that you're here? Ah, yeah, I mean, the place shakes. And are you sure that you're supposed to be here? The Lord sent you here. Ah, yes, 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 yes. And I asked them about three times until they're looking at me like we already answered you. And I said, are you sure? You're supposed to be here. And they go, yes, yes, yes. Are you sure? Until some, you can see sometimes people begin to get a little irritated. Why do you keep asking me? I already told you I'm sure. I said, because whether it's a day or a week or a month or six, something's going to happen. It might be your rent. It might be your transmission on your car. It might be something. But something's going to happen. And maybe two or three things. The devil likes to practice what I call the pile-up technique. (laughs) (laughs) The layer. (laughs) You might know what I'm talking about. You know, one or two things, and you're setting glory to God, but then three and four and five... And he's trying to get you to believe this is too big for you to whip. But what have we found out already tonight? If it's in the ring with me, I know I can beat it by just right that it's there. Scripture said so. I said something will happen. Oh, don't confess that over me. Don't have to. There will be something. Do you honestly think you're going to live the rest of your life out and there's not going to be anything to deal with? The devil's around. Right? Stuff's a curse in the earth. There's stuff. There will be something. And you know what? The first thing that you'll be challenged on, you need the money for the rent. You need the money for the tuition. You need this for your car. You know what the first thing the enemy's going to hit? Are you sure you're supposed to be here? That's your anchor. And he knows if he can cut the rope on the anchor, you will drift with the storm. You're gone. How are you going to stand with full confidence that your tuition is paid and your rent is paid and you're questioning whether you're even supposed to be there or not? You can't. Folks are too quick talking about provision when the focus ought to be on the plan. We get the plan right. We don't have to think about the provision. That was weak. (laughs) Is it true or not? If we get the plan right, the provision is not our job. Jesus, in fact, told us specifically, don't take thought about it. And don't seek it. He's telling us that's my job. Yes. Isn't he? Yes. Yes, he is. Don't focus on the finances. Yes. Okay. Don't seek it. You seek my plan. Where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be hooked up with, what you're supposed to be doing, and you get in there with both feet and you do it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And keep reading the rest of it. Where are you? First Corinthians? Or? Oh, yeah, great. Go, 
Go back to Luke. Luke 12. We're predestined according to what? The plan. The plan. He said, seek not, verse 29, seek not those things. Verse 30, all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Are they thinking night and day how to get their money? Yes. How to get their house? Yep. How to retire? Yes. Huh? Yes. Are they seeking it? Yes. Are we supposed to be different from them? Yes. yes, we're supposed to be markedly different from them. That's right. And it should be a witness with people we work with, mm-hmm. with people that we live around, that they've been scheming and pushing and seeking for years trying to get that, and we never did, and we wind up with it. Yeah. And they're still trying to figure out how to get it. Yeah. That's right. Because yeah. yeah. the Lord just added it to us. Matthew 6.33, talking about this same passage, he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, you can add stuff to yourself. But that's not the same as the Lord adding it to you. You can add stuff to yourself prematurely and in the wrong way. And wrong season, as I said. And if you do, it'll be a burden. I said it'll be a burden. I've always liked sports cars. Anybody in here like sports cars? If it's loud and fast, makes me smile. (laughs) My daddy and my uncles, all my family was that way. I grew up in it, and, and I just like it. And... First opportunity I got to get a substantial sports car, I got it. It was a brand new convertible, fast, pretty, nice. And during that time, we'd been struggling, Phyllis and I, with some things. And we had a bunch of debt. and the, I didn't have this thing but just a couple of months or so. And it just felt like a burden. The insurance and and the payments and and I spent some extra time seeking the Lord. And so I'm thinking about the Lord's good and He wants us to have stuff and and you know He is and there's a truth. But He began to minister to me. I don't mean I heard a voice, but in my heart He said, Keith, I don't mind you having one of these or three of them. He said, but it's not where you are. You're trying to act like you're at a place you're not at yet. You know, he talks to you the way you understand. And uh, he said, your priorities are not right. Because we wanted to give more to the the church and the kingdom and the things, and yet our, our money was all tied up in making these payments and all this insurance and all this stuff. And see, a whole lot of people do. They, they make commitments to all these things, and then they think about what I want to give. It's too late. You've already violated the first principle of prosperity, which is what? Seek ye first. Honor the Lord with your substance. 
and the first fruits of all your increase, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses will burst out with new wine. I mean, almost every Christian would agree you ought to put God first, right? Would that include every area? including your finances. One fellow, he said he thought if people were honest, when some folks were baptized, they ought to hold their wallet up over their head because they are not consecrating that part. (laughs) And the Lord will love you, and you can be saved and go to heaven, but you are not going to have his blessings in your finances unless you put him first in your finances. So the Lord began to get it across to me. And I could feel this thing and some other stuff. It's a burden. Because I'm thinking about how am I going to make the payments? And how am I going to pay off the insurance was high? And how am I going to do this? And how am I going to do that? And the Lord began to help me to see. He spoke that to my heart. Son, I don't care if you had three of these. But your priorities are wrong. You're using your faith more to make your payments on your stuff than to put into the kingdom. I saw it. I repented. I said, Lord, help me get out of this, and I'll make changes. We'll make changes. I talked to Phyllis. We sat down, and we wrote down on a yellow legal pad what we wanted in our heart to put into the kingdom of God, that we had gotten ourselves in such a mess we weren't able to do it. And I said, Lord, you didn't do this to us. We did it to ourselves, but you're merciful. I'm asking you for mercy. Help me get out of this. And so I sold, of course, it was brand new. And you know how when you drive something off the lot in a couple of months, you, I took a bath on it. And, but that wasn't the most important thing. The important thing is the kingdom of God. And so then I had, a, I had another vehicle, and I sold it, and I had this, and we, we got out of that. And Phyllis had a car, and I rode with her for a year and a half. It was good for my flesh. <laughs> She was working too, and I'd call and say, hi, can you come pick me up? She said, yeah, as soon as I get off. I said, okay, praise the Lord. (laughs) I'd had my own car since I was 13, but uh, (laughs) in the country, you know. But I was determined, uh, and when I let that car go, and when the guy drove off in it, I said, this does not move me. Later on, I may have three of these. But right now, i got to put the kingdom first. got to get my priorities right. And so we tightened our belt, so to speak. We quit eating out so much. And uh, our focus was, number one, putting the kingdom first. Number two, paying off our debts and obligations and getting ourselves where we're not bound like this. And so we wrote it down and we stood up before the Lord and we released our faith. And you know, within just a few months, the Lord started doing supernatural things. And, and this was taken care of. We had gotten behind on our taxes because of dumbness and making mistakes. And uh, I was in a meeting somewhere, and a fellow called me over to the side. And he said, uh, he had told me about his tax situation, and all I had said was, I know how you feel. That's all I had said. And he said, you said you know how I feel. I said, yeah. He said, how much do you know how I feel? (laughs) And I said, well, you need to know. He said, I need to know. I said, well, about 13,000. 
And he said, I'm going to send you 2000 a month till that's done. This is not ministry. This is personal mistakes. And they did. Just like clockwork every month. And at the same time, some other situation we had, some folks, the Lord moved on them, they released a $5,000 debt. And then this happened, and this happened. And I mean within a year, we are giving like we have never given before. We are putting money into the kingdom of God, and it felt good. And you felt like you got your priorities right. I'm putting first things first. And just about, oh, less than two years after that, I was in a place and some things worked out. And there was this in-your-face yellow sports car sitting there on the lot. And it just worked out for me to get it. At a, it was used. It had a few miles on it. But we got it. And the money was no problem. And it was parked in the garage. And it wasn't a burden. And the scripture was ringing in my ears. The blessing of the Lord it makes rich, and he adds no sorrow. When he adds it to you, there's no burden. When you add it to yourself and skew your priorities, it's a burden. It's a hassle. Friend, listen to this. I, uh, these are different ways of coming back to the same thing, but struggle and repeated and prolonged lack and coming up short. All of these are indicators that you're off the plan. Are you with me, friends? All of these are indicators that you've gotten part of the plan wrong. You've gotten off of it. See, you can develop your own plan, can't you? Is the Lord obligated or even interested in financing your plan when he's got a perfectly good plan. (laughs) Is he? Would he not in fact be supporting disobedience and rebellion to give provision for your plan instead of his? So he can't. And so when you struggle and you struggle and you just come short and you come short, it's time to put your nose in the carpet and seek the Lord. You got to be open for him to tell you. And sometimes you, you know, we talked about this earlier about being honest, what repentance is. And there are times I had, I put my nose in the carpet and I said, Lord, You tried to get me not to do this. (laughs) But no. (laughs) I had to have it. And I had to do it now. And now I'm in a mess. Here I am. You know it. Have mercy. That's what mercy is all about. If you always did everything right, you wouldn't need mercy. You could get by on justice. Mercy is not getting the judgment. You deserve. Mercy is getting the blessing. You doesn't deserve. And all you got to do is repent. God's talking to some people right in here right now. I'm telling you, total victory and turnaround is right here in front of you. It's right here. 
How many believe God could do amazing things in just a few weeks and just a few amazing things? His arm is not short. The hold up, the hindrance is not with him. It's not with his ability to supply. We need to make adjustments and stop seeking the provision. Stop it. What do we seek? The kingdom, which involves the the plan. That's what we seek. That's what we pursue. Can you say glory to God? Thank you, Master. Aren't you thankful for his mercy? Let's all put up our hands and just thank him for his mercy for a moment. Lord, you are so merciful and so gracious. Thank you that even if we make mistakes, it's not the end. Thank you. Thank you that you have mercy on us. You're so gracious to do it. Thank you. Even if we've messed up repeatedly, you've been gracious and, and merciful. You are the merciful God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. How much time you got tonight? You, you in a rush or? Huh? Can you, you can take some more, you, you're saying? Thank you, Lord. Go with me to two openings. Let's look in uh, Psalm 81. Thank you, Lord. The Lord loves us. He doesn't want to see us hurting. He don't want to see us struggling, especially not when he's already made all the provision. He's already paid for everything, already done everything. Psalm 81 and verse 10. 81.10, he said, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. And I will fill it. Is he the provider? Is he the satisfier? Yes. Verse 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust and they walked in their own counsels. Did they have a plan? Yeah. yeah, they did. The provision of God, will you encounter it on any other path than his path? No, no. no you will not. Verse 13, listen to the heart of the Lord. You know, when people think about God, sometimes they have very inaccurate ideas. They picture somebody old. I mean old. Long white beard. Kind of gaunt looking features. Old. (laughs) God's not old. God's not old. He's been around. But he ain't old. And people picture God emotionless and expressionless. 
age after age. It's not true. It's not true. Did you know he's a whole lot like you? Because you're made like him? If you study the scriptures, you'll see God gets mad. He gets glad. He can be grieved. Huh? He can be wroth. You don't want to be around God. <laughs> God sings. He sings. How many like a, a CD? Of God's, some of God's songs. One of the things I'm looking forward to past this life is that. I know all the musicians and singers especially relate to this. I can just picture, you know, saints singing, angels singing, amazing. And we're just enthralled. And then somebody says, shh, shh, shh. the father's going to sing. And we all go, how many think the Most High can hit some notes? (laughs) I don't think we have ever heard anything like it. it. And I don't think it'll just bounce off our ears. I think it'll go through us. And we won't just hear it. We'll be it. That's something I'm looking forward to. But here in this verse, you hear some of this expression and feeling. Verse 13, he says, Oh, that my people had hearkened to me. Can you hear something in the Lord? This is not feelingless. Oh, that my people had listened to me. And that they had walked in my ways, in my plan, in my path that I had for them. I should soon, everybody say soon. Soon. This is not dragging around for years messing around with it. I would have soon subdued their enemies. I would have soon turned my hand against their adversaries. Soon. And the haters of the Lord would have submitted themselves to him. But their time would have endured forever. And he should have fed them with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied. That's the best of the best. I would have fed them. I would have taken care of them. They would have been abundantly supplied and satisfied. Why? If they'd listened to me and done it my way. It's one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ. One of the biggest problems in the world. People come up with their own plan. And they're seeking to produce stuff. And they have an idea. And claim it's God. And it's not. And so they push and they sweat and they struggle. And they try to make it happen. And it just languishes and goes on and on and on. But when it's his plan, provision was already choreographed to meet it and supply it before you're ever born. And all we got to do is take the step into it, and here it'll come. And we just keep taking steps, and it'll just keep coming. It'll just keep coming, 
it'll just keep coming and every need will be met. Can you say amen? Every need will be met. Everything will be done. Oh, we'll have to use our faith. Yeah, we'll have to stand. But it'll come. Isaiah 119, you know it. You don't have to turn there. It says, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. You got to be both of these. Willing and what? I mean, let me get ahead of myself just a little bit here. You can't even find the plan until you get willing. The plan is not revealed to unwilling ones. You can't even find it. I know uh, some years ago, Phyllis and I had some challenges in, our, in the ministry finances. And this had gone on for a year and a half or so. And I prayed and prayed and prayed about it. Sought the Lord, sought the Lord. And couldn't seem to get the answer. Let me just stop right here. If you've been in the Word any length of time, in almost every scenario, you've already heard your answer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you just ain't connecting the dots. Almost every case, if you've been in the Word for any length of time, you've already heard your answer. And uh, the Lord had been dealing with me about making some changes in ministry, and it required me speaking more and traveling more. And I was already doing a lot of it. And I just didn't think I liked that idea. (laughs) And when you don't particularly like the idea of something, You can play games with yourself and pretend that you don't know where that's coming from. (laughs) And so this thought had come to me. It'd come up once in a while about me making these changes and me traveling more and doing more and speaking more. And I'd think, "Mm, I don't know what what." And all you got to do is do that and you crack the door and the enemy will stick his foot in and he'll say, we don't know what that is. And you think, oh, right, yeah, I don't, we don't know what that is. We don't know who that is. Because if we don't know what that is, then we don't have to do anything with it or act on it. Or, because if it's the Lord and we know it's the Lord, there's nothing left except do it. And when you don't want to do it, you can play game mental gymnastics. And you can go, wow, this is... This is complicated and mysterious, and we don't really know. (laughs) Yes, you do. You're playing games. If you do that, you just dulled your spirit to hearing from him. Because three days later, I'm in the healing line, and I want to hear from the Lord about how to minister to somebody. And he speaks to my heart. I just said this wasn't him three days ago. So who is this? If that wasn't him, who is this? And that's how people get confused about is this God or is this the devil or is this me? We should not be this way. The reason folks get that way is because of ignoring things that they know was him. They knew was him and they confuse your own spirit. So I had done that for months. And I'm sitting at the house, Phyllis hadn't got in yet, and I was in from teaching and what have you, and I was sitting in my easy chair, 
just getting quiet for a minute. And that came up to me again <laughs> about that going out and traveling more and speaking more. And I just about talked to it out loud. I said, Lord, that is you. I know that's you. Forgive me. That's the same spirit that led me to Raymond and into the ministry. And yes, I don't know how I'll do it, but I'll do it. And just like that, I don't mean I heard a voice, but he said, now I'm going to speak to you about this other. The stuff we'd been struggling with in our finances, I didn't know the two were connected. But the unwillingness in this area had shut off the revelation of his plan in this area. The least bit of unwillingness between us and the Lord will prevent us from getting the plan. John 7 talks about this. Uh, If any man wills to do his will, he will know. Whether it's of God or basically we could say whether it's of man. He will know. Do you want to know that you know you got to be willing to do anything? Stay, go. You got to be willing. And that willingness opens you up. Go to Psalm 78, please. Psalm 78. Verse 19, it says, they spoke against God. You don't want to speak against God. I don't want to speak against God. How, what did they do that is called speaking against God? They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And the Bible calls that speaking against God. What were they saying? They knew God could do some things. They had experienced things. They saw protection and provision. But now they're out here in this desolate place. No natural provision. And they're questioning, can God do it here? And the Bible calls it speaking against him. Can God do it here? Can he furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock. The waters gushed out. The streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? And the implication is we don't think he can here in this place. Verse 41 says they turned back and they tempted God and they did what? They limited the Holy One of Israel. We spoke last night this phrase, there is one and only one source. Many channels. Now, the source is the origin. It's that the beginning of where it comes from, where it originates, where it comes out of and comes from. A channel is a stream that it comes from the origin to. And one of the big challenges that people have stumbled over and fallen over is a channel change. Somebody say channel change. Can you deal with a channel change? Can you cope? With a channel change. 
You get used to seeing it come this way. Through your job. 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 You get paid and you pay your bills. And you get paid and you pay your bills. And you get paid and you pay your bills. And most folk, if the Lord says, okay, I'm changing the channel. People freak. (laughs) They absolutely lose it. I'm not talking about unsaved people. I'm talking about church-going people. They just lose it. They pace the floor. They pull their hair. Because the only way they can see it coming is through that channel. And if they can't see it coming through there, they can't see it. So they have channel fixation. And it's in the body of Christ from top to bottom. People working their jobs, people with their investments, preachers, traveling ministers look to the churches they go to and their partners. Pastors look to their congregations. Are y'all listening? And it's going to come through that. And if it's not coming through that, then people get upset and they go, the channel. And we should never have been looking at the channel. From the beginning, we shouldn't have been looking at the channel. Because God is a channel changer. And he'll do it just for a laugh. He... Because he is a faith God and faith pleases him and he will change the channel on you. Click. And you're going, it's not coming. Right. So you better quit looking at that. You better quit looking at the channel. Because the source hasn't gone anywhere. Come on now, the source hasn't gone anywhere. And the source never changes, never changes, never changes. Glory to God. A pastor friend of mine one time said, uh, he started preaching some things, a series, and there was some folks in his church that actually two or three families linked together through marriage and this and that and were the strongest givers by far of anybody in the church and one of the guys came to him and said you know I can't agree with what you're preaching and if you don't quit preaching this then me and my family as are pulling out we're leaving and these guys I mean they carried a big portion of what the previous giving of the church well of course that troubled him but he thought you can't tell me what to preach you didn't call me and I'm not going to stand before you to give an account. So I'm sorry. I love you. I don't want to see you go. But you can't tell me what to preach and not to preach. So they left. He said, I'm leaving. And I'm pulling my families. And he's just walking across the parking lot. He looked out the window and he said, Lord, there goes the biggest giver in my church. He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, no, I'm still here. 
I'm, and he said it wasn't but a few months till he brought three in just like that guy. Just as strong as him. It's a temptation. We've all missed it in these areas. It's a temptation to look to a channel and a conduit that God has brought it through before. But it's a mistake. You can't go to the next level. You can't go through the whole plan like that because God is changing channels. He's doing it. I want you to say it out loud. My job is not my source. The government's not my source. The company's not my source. The state is not my source. My family's not my source. You know, in my personal life, I've been emphasizing this to myself for years. Every time if I catch myself thinking or drifting, I grab it and I say, absolutely, you can't even consider that. God's your source. You need to say it again. My job's not my source. (laughs) Fella caught me, a great man of God, of wonderful ministry. Oh, this has been a few years ago. He caught me on the side, and he and I were talking about something God put on his heart. And he was upset. And I could, I could just, there was a hardness in his face. And he said, I don't understand why these churches won't get behind me on this. I said, who said they should? Man, he looked offended. He said, well, this... God told me to do this, and this is a good ministry, and they need to be a part. And I said, and you need to quit looking at them. Ain't no way you can make right out of it. Faith puts no pressure on people because you're not looking at them. Oh, it's happening all through the body of Christ. People are carrying resentment against their boss against their supervisor, against this or that client because they had thought, well, they were going to give me this big contract and I'm going to make all this money and then they didn't and they'd already made plans uh, about the house and already moved the furniture in their mind. (laughs) And it didn't work out that way. You didn't have your eyes on the source. If your eyes are on the source... If people unhook, if people don't do, it doesn't even move you. Because you weren't looking at them to start with. You still got your eyes on the soil. He hasn't moved. He hasn't changed. Back when Phyllis and I first got in the ministry, we lived in a little apartment downtown, rough area. And we were believing God for every tank of gas and everything. And we needed some, some things right now. We prayed and agreed and did what we needed to do. And time came, the day came and went, and we didn't have it. And uh, she asked me, she said, what do you think's going on? I said, I, I don't know, but I know this. God uses people. And anytime you got people involved, <laughs> you know, people don't have to obey. 
they can procrastinate and then never do it. And I told her that. She she looked less happy after I told her that. (laughs) I said, but, but, they're not our source. It's not our business who he uses. And he has a plan, and and his plan does not just include who gets their needs met. Who he uses to do it is just as important because it involves their harvest and eternal reward. It is so significant. And so that's why sometimes he will be tolerant with people and he'll wait on them as long as he can. Why? Because this is part of his plan that they're the ones that do this. They don't know it, but a future harvest is connected to it and, and part of the plan. And, but he'll only let it go so long. And he's faithful to the person with the, that's believing for it. And I told her, I said, uh, in the scripture, God used ravens to fly it in. He, he did all kind of things. And I know this, he will be faithful to us. If, if, whatever he has to do and he'll get to somebody that'll listen to him and I called the name of a minister that both of us we knew of them we didn't really know them and I said if God has to speak to them or anybody else he'll do it yeah. and we'll, our need will be met yeah. he won't let us down and you know two days later that man found me <laughs> with money in his hand yeah. He found me, and he put the money in my hand. I knew he thought something was wrong with me because I was like, (laughs) we're just young, young believers. I was in awe of this person, and and I didn't think they even knew I existed, you know. And he said, the Lord told me to sow this into you, and I was like, "Uh." (laughs) uh-huh. And I could not wait to call Phyllis. I said, Phyllis, Phyllis, that guy, he brought it. And it was like the Lord was saying to us, what you said is true. I will use whoever I have to. I will get it done. Is he faithful? But we must not fix our eyes on anybody, any individual, or any group, hmm? or any company. You suppose Christians have done that? Oh. In mass every day. But do we want to live by faith? Do we want to come up to the supernatural provision of God? Then we've got to quit looking at people. Thank you, Lord. Go with me to 1 Kings, please. I'll at least introduce this. Can you come back to tomorrow night? I hope that you can. You know, I'm not quite ready for 1 Kings. Numbers 9. I think we need Numbers 9 to to help us get to 1 Kings. Numbers 9. The plan of God is not static. Static means stationary, fixed. The plan of God is kinetic. It's moving. Are you with me? It's moving. And you have to move with him. 
at any point where you sit down and you get fixed, you're going to be in trouble. Numbers 9, this is such a beautiful type of this. God delivered his people from Egyptian bondage. And in Numbers 9, 17, it describes how they were moving. When the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after the children of Israel journeyed, and in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. If the cloud abode from evening to morning, and the cloud was taken up in the morning, they journeyed. Whether it was by day or night, the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Are any of these verses unnecessary? See, you get to thinking, well, yeah, I got it last verse. Uh, When the cloud moves, they move. No. No, if it wasn't important, he wouldn't keep saying it over and over and different emphasis and different words. Why? Because this doesn't just need to bounce off your head. It needs to get in your spirit and it needs to set something in you. Why? What is it supposed to set? When he moves, I move. When he stays, I stay. If he stays for three days, I stay for three days. If he stays for 33 years, I stay for 33 years. He moves, I move. He stays, I stay. So can you see, though, that it wasn't any fixed thing. There was movement. And it wasn't by a set pattern. Now, your head wants a schedule. With time, Well, just tell me. To be ready at 8.30. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'll be ready. And let me know if it's, is it the first Tuesday of the month? Come on now, let's get this thing locked down. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> he wants you to be ready in the morning. And ready in the noontime. And ready when the sun goes down. And ready in the middle of the night. And it is not comfortable to your flesh. Your flesh says, hey, we got a good channel here. <laughs> and it's flowing good. And unless you, I'm tired of traveling. Let's put in a big pump and a water tank. <laughs> and let's just be happy forever. Right here. (laughs) You're going to miss God. He doesn't work that way. He changes channels. Channels are the conduit. The stream. And yet the source does not change. Let's keep reading. We didn't read all of it. In fact, I'm going to back up and read the whole thing over again. Are you with me? Put your eyes on the page now. Don't presume you know that. Verse 17. When the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. 
At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. When the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord, and they journeyed not many days. So it was when the cloud was a few days on the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode from evening until morning, and the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night. You sound asleep. 2.30 in the morning. Somebody comes rushing at the tent door. Cloud's moving. Cloud's moving. <laughs> you got to roll off your mat and get that baby packed up. They're moving in the dark at night. In mass. And you get your tent all set up. And you find you some firewood. And you get your animals and... And you get settled in, and, and you find you something to make you a good meal with. Somebody holler, cloud's moving. Cloud, cloud's moving. You go, huh, already? I just sit down. Cloud moving. <laughs> cloud's moving. That's <laughs> Say it out loud. Try it. See how you like the sound of it. Cloud moving. Cloud moving. Cloud moving. What's supposed to happen when the cloud moves? You move. You change it up. Let me tell you some famous last words of dead and dying churches. We never done it like that before. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we never done it like I no, no. I've been here now on forty-three years and never seen it done like that. When the cloud moves, they move. Cloud stayed. They stayed. Three days, three years, either way, 21, so it was when the cloud abode from evening unto morning and the cloud was taken up in the morning, they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, and they had no high beam headlights, (laughs) and the cloud was taken up and they journeyed. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean. Why would the Lord say that? Don't lean to your own understanding. Oh, you'll be tempted. You'll be tempted. Because you'll have nine reasons and 19 reasons why we don't need to be traveling at night in the desert. (laughs) And why this place is just good enough. And if it was good enough for daddy and them to do it that way, then by golly. 22, whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and they journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents. And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord. 
at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. This world is not our permanent home. In our hearts, I don't care if you've got a 20-room mansion, in your heart, you should live in a tent. You might know what I mean by that. Tents can be struck and moved. I've seen people, it's grievous. I've seen people absolutely miss the plan of God over a house, over a piece of land, over a job, over, over this, over that. Why? Because the focus is on the provision. I've seen people leave a church where they got saved and their kids got saved and their spouse got healed and move across the country where there wasn't a good church for them to get fed in for $5 more an hour. Did they ask God about the plan? Why? Because Christians, I'm not talking about unbelievers, Christians are seeking the provision. In the ministry. I'm talking about churches, ministries. People can get an opportunity to be in the ministry or to be on staff or to be working in the church or the ministry. And a lot of times their big question is, how much? How much? What's the salary? The benefits? Is that going to determine whether you do it or not? I was, uh, we were interviewing somebody and, and considering hiring a person a while back, and oh, this has been a few years, and they're highly skilled. And uh, their skills were in demand in the world. And, and I was tempted to, to endeavor to raise the, the salary more than I had originally thought. And the Lord said, don't you do it. Don't do it. Not now. I thought, why? If he's not willing to make a sacrifice and come, he's not qualified to serve me, to do this in the ministry. Now, later on, Lord leads you, and you want to raise something, you can. But if this determines whether they come or not, they should not come. Do you believe if the Lord told you to do it, you're to do it with no promise? Oh, boy, this is going over big, isn't it? You remember Jesus telling this story. He said there were people, a man that agreed with individuals to go into his field and work for a set amount. You remember that? And so they went out early in the morning. They're working all day. And the owner of the fields and the farm, he went out to the square in the city, and there are men standing around. And he says, why are you standing around here? They says, we got no work. Nobody's hired us. And he said, uh, all right, he said, uh, go on, go to the field, and whatever's right, I'll give you. Whatever's right? That's pretty vague. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Huh? Yes. Yes, it is. Exactly, what's that going to work out to? Right. <laughs> no guarantee. Whatever he thinks is right. But they went. 
And then others went. And finally, end of the day, there's only, what, an hour or so left in the work day? And he says, why are y'all standing around? Nobody hires. He said, okay, go to the field and work, and I'll pay. Whatever's right, I'll pay you. So they took off and went. And you know, at the end of the day, he settled up with them. And the people that worked one hour got the same pay as the guys that worked all day long. And the guys that worked all day long were fit to be tied. And they said, no, no, no. We've been out here all day long. We worked, we sweated, and you're going to pay them the same. He said, look, it's my money. What you fussing about? We agreed on that amount, didn't we? We had a contract. I honored the contract. You always get less money with a contract than with faith. The last guys went by faith. They had no guarantee of what they were going to get paid. They went by faith, trusting in the fairness of the man who said, I'll do right by you. You take your affairs into your own hands. You become a tough negotiator. I'm talking about particularly with the people of God and the things of God. You're going to mess up his plan. We have to do things by faith. Oh, this is going over big, isn't it? Did I make all this up or have I been quoting scriptures to you? Huh? We've got to be willing to do what he said and not have one idea how it's going to work out. Or you can live like the rest of the world. Hmm? You can live by faith. You can walk by sight. You can fixate on channels and the way you've gotten it before. Or you can lift up your eyes. Oh, it's exciting. It's uncomfortable for your flesh, but it's exciting. You lift up your eyes and go, I ain't got a clue how this is going to come. <laughs> but I know you're going to do it. I know. I know why. Because I know I'm doing what you told me to do. I know I'm doing what you told me to do. And I know you said in your word, you have already provided for. You said if I seek the kingdom, I don't have to think about all the stuff the world's thinking about. Because you, it gives you good pleasure to give me the kingdom. All these things will be added unto me. Glory to God. Stand up on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.